Good morning, everyone. Doesn't this all look great? It looks really nice, I think. There was, um, I tried to count it up, but I probably missed somebody. I think there were 17 or 18 of us here on, uh, on Wednesday setting up the decorations, and we had a good time. Uh, we really enjoyed ourselves. Um, I don't know what, what you have in your mind that we do when, when we're having this, but it is a good time. We're joking around. We have uh, hot chocolate. We uh, do silly things. I just want to point out that my wife is pretty cool. Um, she's a little bit engineer. Um, we have, see this lovely lady up on top of the, uh, of, of the tree here? Uh, this is the second one. The first one we threw out because she was pretty rough looking. She'd seen better days. And on this new tree, the top of the tree is not very firm. So when you put her up there, she does this. Or she'll, she'll be like bowing way down. And uh, they could not get her to stand up straight. So my wife went, and I just happened to see her doing this. She's up on top of the ladder, and she's got a dowel rod that she has worked down in there and gotten wrapped in around it and uh, put on there and, and then got the whole thing just perfectly straight. Um, she does a good job with things like that. If, uh, if you have not been in our youth room lately, I encourage you to go check it out. She's done some pretty cool stuff in there, too. She's just uh, a pretty nifty lady, and I kind of like her. So uh, uh, I'm just going to brag her up just a little bit. I want to tell you a few little short stories about church. One was in 1997. I was still in Bible college, and I was team, te team preaching at a little, teeny, tiny country church in a little, teeny, tiny village. Uh, to tell you how small this village was, in about uh, three Saturdays, maybe four, um, one, of my, one of my kids at the time who were little, uh, and I, or my wife and I, went around and we knocked on every door in town, every door, in about three or four Saturdays. Um, and while we were doing that, I knocked on one door, and uh, let me precurse this by saying that the church in that little village, it had a bit of a bad reputation. This was mostly earned by three or four people that had been in that church and it was not a, a well-liked place in the town. And as I was going around and knocking on doors, I talked with one man who lived maybe a block from the church. And uh, he came to the door, and I introduced myself and told him what I was doing there. Uh, and I was just out knocking on doors and, and, and trying to get people to, uh, to come to the church. And he kind of he sneered and said, huh, does that place still exist? And uh, I said, yes, yes, it does. And he said, huh, all five of them? Now, I didn't want to get technical with him, but when I first started attending at that church, there were eight people going to it, not five. But uh, my response instead was, well, we had about 40 last Sunday. Now, at this moment, his jaw dropped open, and this look of bewilderment kind of made a home on his face because he could not comprehend that about 40 people were attending at that little teeny church that had been almost completely empty. 
A few weeks later, he came to church. He showed up. Because after I had said that to him, for one or two Sundays, he he looked and checked things out. I don't know if he drove by or whatnot, but he saw all the cars in the parking lot. And he was just dumbfounded. He couldn't comprehend it. And so he actually came and sat in church with us. Now, he didn't become a regular attender by any means. I may have only seen him one other time than that. But he had to come and see what was going on as this church had basically quintupled in six or eight months. And he had to come and see. When I was a youth minister down in Ohio, there was this 15-year-old kid who had been a a really regular attender at church. He was in my youth group. He was one of, we had about seven or eight kids who were our core members who were usually there every every time we had youth group. And uh, he had kind of fallen off in his attendance. He had only been there uh, probably one or two times in in the previous two months. And I was at his house to talk with him and his parents and just kind of inquire as to what was going on all of a sudden that that he wasn't showing up for church. And uh, his parents were, how should I say it, fairly modern in their parenting style. And when I brought this up that he had suddenly uh, dropped off the face of the earth as far as church attendance went, his mom said, oh, we we don't want to make him go if he doesn't really want to be there because we don't want to make him have bad feelings about going to church. I said, huh, that's interesting. Do you make him go to school? And they said, well, of course. I said, when he gets a job next year and he doesn't feel like going to his job, are you going to make him go to work? And they said, well, naturally. They literally had no idea what I was driving at. It was just incomprehensible to them that I was making these comparisons and saying, yeah, he's 15, of course he wants to sleep in on a Sunday. You got to make him go to church because he's 15. He isn't going to hate Jesus because you took him to church on Sunday when he was being grumpy and didn't want to get out of bed. I was working at church one day when I was associate minister and I was the only one in the building and there uh, somebody came to the door and um, they came down to to my office they could you know see where the lights went and they just came down there and knocked on my office door and uh, introduced themselves and uh, there was a it was a middle-aged woman probably my age at, from this time and her 20 22 year old son was with her and uh, they, had, they had come to inquire about using the building for his upcoming wedding that was going to happen in, I don't know, several months from then. And I said, oh, okay, well, let's, let's talk about a few things. And we checked the calendar for dates, and then we were walking around the building, and um, then I started to go over prices with them for using the building for non-members. And she said to me... I'm a member of this church. Now, I will point out that I was 29. 
I had only been in ministry for maybe six months at that time, and I wasn't, how should I put it, diplomatically trained very well at that point. And after she had said, um, you know, I'm no, I take that back. I'd been at that church for a little while, but I was still really new in ministry. This is my first full-time job in ministry. After she had said she was a member of that church because she wanted the 50% discount for members, I said, ma'am, I'm, I've been at this church for two, two and a half years. I've never seen you before. Yeah, I never saw her again either. Didn't really, you know, go over that well. Those are just a few stories that I wanted to use to set your minds this morning before we get into the rest of the message. The main text for today comes from a passage that is right after what is for many people in the restoration movement, they're either their favorite or second favorite passage in Scripture. The verses are around Acts 2.38. If you're not immediately familiar with that, it's what happened at Pentecost after Peter gave a really compelling sermon to the people, convicting them of their sin of being complicit in Jesus' death. And they responded this way in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Right at the birthday of the church, this very clear message was given. We in our brotherhood, we stress this passage a lot, as we should. It's an essential part of being a Christian. What is nearly as essential in the life of a Christian, but in my experience is not quite as frequently stressed, is the part that comes just a little bit after this. Go down a couple verses to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The church grew exponentially that day. And while some of the people that were there, they had been in Jerusalem for the festival, and they did leave the immediate area to return back to the lands that they had come from, those who were remaining, those who were from that area and had accepted Christ that day, they became a part of something very special. Now, as a caveat, I didn't think about how I just said that, but those who went back to other countries, they were part of something very special also. But the ones in Jerusalem, we hear a lot more about. Someone once said that Scripture knows no such thing as a solitary Christian. We are meant to belong to something. 
And the way that you belong to something is being a part of it and interacting with it. You may be wondering what's in the box. I had to put the box up on the table because uh, three people had said to me, oh, somebody forgot to put that box away after you guys decorated. Nope, nope, that's, that's my sermon props. What's in the box? Well, this is a brick. This is another brick. In fact, there's a whole bunch of bricks in this box right here today. By themselves, that's all they are, a brick, nothing more. Could they be more? Yes, they could. They could be built together into something significantly better than just being a brick on its own. They could be. They have that potential to be something other than just a brick. They don't have to be just a brick sitting there on their own. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These bricks, in and of themselves, they're not really anything all that special. They're not interesting really at all. We found them back in the storage room when we were cleaning out, they're just bricks. I would argue that not even placing them in somewhat similar proximity to each other like this makes them anything more than just being individual bricks. A couple of years before COVID hit, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine. He's um, very modern, very progressive. He's a preacher. And he and I were having a discussion about something he thought was pretty cool, and I didn't. I'm a little old-fashioned in some things. He was really excited about virtual reality church, okay? Have you ever heard of this? It's been around for a while now. You know the virtual reality headsets that people put on, and then you've got things on your fingers so that uh, when you turn it on, you're connected to a computer and... You moving and you seeing, you are like taking the place of some little icon in a computer program. And they were having church as virtual reality, where they were in a simulated building 
and they could walk around and talk with other people and they have headsets on and earsets so you can actually hear people talking and and converse and, and do things with each other. And he was arguing that this is just such a wonderful thing. It resembles church virtually. But being in a a, a simulated program isn't being in church with others. It isn't fellowship. There is no way that you can get to know someone by those means. For starters, and this This is kind of a kicker. For starters, when you are in that virtual reality church, you don't even know if you're actually talking to a human being because they have simulations going around because when they, you know, first got things going, there weren't a whole lot of people attending virtual church. So most of the people who you were there with were actually bots. And you can't tell the difference when you go up and have a conversation, whether you're talking to another person or a computer program. And if you can't tell the difference there, you cannot be having fellowship. You cannot be having genuine worship with other people if you can't even tell if you are with other people. What this comes down to, this thing he was arguing for, It really is nothing more than a very modern, very fast version of sending letters to people in other places and then them sending letters back to you. Now, I'm all for that. I think that's great. I send letters to my mom. My mom calls me on the phone. My mom tried to do, uh, well, over Thanksgiving, we tried to do a, a, what do you call it, a Zoom meeting thing with her. Took about, I don't know, half an hour to get it set up. Those are nice. But does anyone actually think that you can have the same sort of relationships that way? Especially sending letters. Because really all we're talking about is the speed at which this is being done, communicating with someone at distance. If anybody thought that that was as good as being in a relationship with someone in person, then why did anybody travel hundreds of miles to be with family over the Thanksgiving weekend? Why didn't everybody just have Zoom meeting Thanksgivings? Because it isn't anything even remotely close to being there. Now before somebody gets upset by that, hear me out. Are other forms of communicating and keeping in touch useful? Yes. Are they helpful as substitutes? Sure. It's better than nothing. The apostles, they sent letters to the churches that they couldn't be with as encouragements and instructions, but it wasn't as good as being there. How do we know that? 
because they said so in their letters. Second John, verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Sending letters wasn't as good because they told us it wasn't as good. It did not bring the complete joy of actual in-person fellowship. Now, I'm not saying that, for instance, our live stream, and those of you who are watching right now, that that's bad. It's not bad, especially when people are sick. I'm not saying that watching a TV broadcast of a church service or a radio sermon are bad things. Although, I went to, I went to get the grandkids this morning. Went to, uh, I leave at a certain time after I've been here, and I go pick them up and bring them back. And I use Kathy's van because uh, my car won't hold enough people. And her radio was set to a, a religious channel, and there's a preacher on there. And I think I figured out what I'm doing wrong. I'm not screaming at you all the time. Because this preacher boy, he was just screaming at everybody. Do you like that? I don't, I don't really like that. But anyway, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with listening to a preacher on the radio or on television or watching the live stream. But it is not being there. It is not the fellowship that you get through being with other people. Now my friend, arguing for the wonders of virtual reality church was like, but, 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 but I know people who are really, really introverted and they just get really upset when they have to be around other people. Now I understand that. I understand there are people that are like that. There are people who actually have phobias of being with other people. It's hard for them. Yes. I feel sorry for people that are suffering through that. But you know what? I also think for a lot of people out there in the world, it's a handy excuse to stay in their jammies in bed and watch worship instead of be at worship. But for those who do have those genuine disabilities or phobias, I encourage them to work through that, to go beyond that. And why do I say that? Because it's good for them to do that. How do I know that? Three times in my ministry, I've had people who wanted to accept Christ who were terrified of water, terrified of it. They said, I've wanted to get baptized for a long time. I just can't do it. I worked with them and prayed with them and talked with them. Their family members did that. Worked through it. And they were immersed into Christ. And every single time, they were overjoyed that they had done so. One was moved to actual, like, bawling tears after she came up out of the waters of baptism. I didn't just say, oh, you know, you've got this fear and you're not comfortable with it. We'll just do a simulated baptism. No. 
We prayed, we talked, we worked through it. They were immersed and they were overjoyed because of it. Are there genuine instances of needed separation? Absolutely. We, this morning, we're we're praying for some folks who are sick. Do they need to be here because they're sick? No, it's, it's better for them to be at home and watch on the live stream. That's better in that situation. Are there people who are homebound? And this is the only way that they can do it? Yes, but those are the the exceptions, not the rule. We don't do things by the exception. We make the exception. And when we can, when we have people like in nursing homes, we do have some fellowship with them. We try to take them communion and talk with them and pray with them and read them scripture. What we should never be doing in church or any other life instance is going, you know, there's a few people that can't, so we should just not. But enough on that. Let's get to the real heart of what this sermon was meant to be about. Let's go back to these bricks for a moment. If I have one of these bricks... And I go over here. No, I'm not going to. I was going to go over there and open the door and toss it out in the front yard, but I think I'd trip over stuff and it would look bad. Imagine, simulate, that I've tossed one of these bricks out in the front yard. And then I've got another brick. Don't trip on this praise team. And I put it there. And I've got another brick. And I put it here, another one over here, and another one maybe out in the dog park, and another one in the youth room. They aren't, you know, not near each other, but are they a building? I don't think so. A building is when they come together. Not when they're in sight of others. Never really just kind of interacting, just sort of there. The elders and I have been talking about something with this church. And we've come to the conclusion that it's probably the same thing with most churches. Not only has every single church that I know of gone way down in attendance since COVID was the the very serious threat that it was a few years ago. We've lost something more in our worship time together. You remember when, when Curtis was the worship leader back a few years? He had this thing that he was really famous for saying. Do you remember what it was? Some of you will remember it. He's come out, Welcome to Unity Christian Church, the friendliest church in Grant County. And he was just saying it to be fun and have a good time. And you know, I always thought, well, how would you know that unless you've been to every church in Grant County like several times so you could evaluate? But it was just fun and we all kind of laughed. But he was making a point that, hey, we're a friendly church. And we were. We are. Kind of. But I think we've lost a lot of friendliness. 
We're not as friendly as we used to be. This was after a lot of introspective analysis that I came up with this. Now, before you get upset, let me tell you what I mean. I'm not saying that we've become mean-spirited or selfish or sour people. We haven't, but we've changed. And I don't think even most of us realize that we've changed. And it isn't just us. It's almost everyone. Our mindsets, our way of thinking and interacting with the world and with each other has gotten less friendly. We've been, for lack of a better term, brainwashed into permanent hunker-down mode, and we have to stop. This is something we've been conditioned into, and I will admit being complicit in that. It's something we have to intentionally condition ourselves out of. And I know it will take a bit of time to do, but we have to do it. We aren't what we once were, and we've lost something for it. A couple weeks ago, I learned of someone that I know who lives in in this town, and uh, they were planning on an event that they wanted to do with their family and get together. And they had been attending at a church before COVID that um, switched to like online-only church for a long time. And they, uh, they had gotten a little less involved in their church and things. And they wanted to plan a family event, so they wanted to use their church building. So they called up their church. And guess what they found out? Their church didn't exist anymore. It had permanently closed its doors a year earlier. And they weren't aware of it. Now, I don't know of a single church where COVID killed a church. And by that I mean most of the members got COVID and died. But I know of three churches at least to where our society's reaction to COVID killed those churches. So what can we do and how have we changed where we should change back? First things first. We need to, as it says in our our passage for this morning, devote ourselves to the fellowship of the believers as those in Acts chapter 2 did. Have you, I don't know how familiar you are with our bulletin, if you read it a lot or not, but you may have noticed that I write little articles in the bulletin. Those of you who are, are, you know, more astute may notice that those bulletins are in there two weeks in a row, the same article. Have you noticed that? Same article, two weeks in a row. Do you know why? Because I want most of the people to have an opportunity to see it. This may sound bad. And I'm going to precurse this with the fact that there are always genuine reasons. But virtually every Sunday when I'm up here 
looking out at our church, I can count somewhere between 10 and 15 of our regular attenders who aren't present. And then the next week, it's usually 10 or 15 other of our regular attenders who aren't present. It's really, really hard to have everybody in the building at the same time. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I've been here for over nine years. There has not been a single Sunday where everybody has been in the building at the same time. People get sick. People travel. People have things going on where they legitimately can't be at church. I absolutely understand that. Happens to us too. But I think since COVID, we've kind of got into the habit of having church attendance be kind of optional. It's just, eh, maybe. If I feel good when I wake up and the weather's nice. We need to devote ourselves to the fellowship. Secondly, we need to purposely be friendly again. Purposely. Like, in our minds, be thinking about it and think about how we need to be friendly toward each other again, more so than we are. One of the things that we did away with um, during when, when COVID first started was we used to have what I called, I don't know what everybody else called it, I called it the handshake and howdy. And we did away with that because that wasn't a real good idea at the time. I thought about trying to bring that back and a lot of people said, I didn't really like that. I felt really uncomfortable during that. So I understand. But you know what? We have times both before our worship service and after our worship service where I encourage you to be here and to be friendly. Don't just come in and sit down. Go up to somebody else. Talk with them. Catch up with them. Chat about what went on. I don't care if it's whatever team was playing whatever this past week. That's good times too. But sometimes we tend to come in, sit down. When church is over, we get up and we leave. I remember before COVID hit, usually, this was like the norm, for about 10 minutes after church was over, people would mingle and fellowship and talk with family and friends. I remember one particular day, I don't know what it was, but there was a, a, a big gathering still going on in here, and it had been about, about 20 minutes or so, and, and uh, lunch was waiting, and I actually went over, and I'm, I'm like starting to shut lights off to get people to go, oh, maybe it's time to leave. I would love to have those days again. Now I talked with uh, the elders about having a time during this worship service where we would get up and go and mingle instead of me talking more and they were like, that's artificial and that's just going to come across weird. And I thought about it more and I thought, you know, they're probably right. But I'm going to tell you when there's a really great opportunity for us to have some wonderful fellowship. Next week, what's going on? Holiday dinner, right after church. We're going to have it set up differently in there. Now, I want to, I want to tell you this, and this don't take this as a chastisement. This is just the preacher kind of being uh, hyper-aware of some things. 
we used to have a lot of people stay for the holiday dinner and for the other dinners that we have. The last two or three times that we've had meals after church, less than half the people in church stayed. Everybody else made a beeline for the door. Now, I understand if you've got something you have to go to, but if you can, stay. Fellowship. Spend time getting to know somebody you don't know very well. Make an on-purpose choice to sit down at a table with somebody you're not really that familiar with and have a conversation with them. They are a part of the building that you are. These bricks sitting 15 feet apart are just bricks. They are not a building at all. I've gotten off my track here. We cannot be the temple of Christ if we're individual bricks who don't want to be anywhere near or have anything doing with the other bricks. Be devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship means the body of Christ gathering together to be a family. Be devoted to each other. Be in fellowship. Be present. Be involved. Be the church. I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, please help change our minds. Switch us back to that mindset where we wanted to be around the other people in our lives, where we wanted to be close and know people and have fun and enjoy each other's presence. Lord, help us to be that friendliest church in Grant County that we are. Help us to shake off the effects of, of the, this thing that has come into our society like, a, like a, a dark cloud and just changed us so that we can experience you in a more vibrant way and share that with the rest of our community so that they have to come and see, Lord. They have to know what's going on here because it's an exciting thing like the man who didn't understand how a church of eight could become a church of 40. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.